Hi guys, before we begin today, I just want to take a really quick second and say thank you to our listeners. Thank you guys so much. Your support has made the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast incredibly successful across all of our platforms. Cannot thank you guys enough. That is because of you and your listenership, and you guys are liking it and sharing it. So we appreciate it. So thank you guys so, so much. Let's get into the show today. Here we go. That's some kung fu, frog. We're not kung fu frogs. We're ninja turtles. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon! From Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California, this is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Hector Navarro, and I am so beyond thrilled to be sitting in the recording booth here at Nickelodeon today because I cannot wait to talk to our very, very special guest today, near and dear to my heart, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, one of the most successful comic book franchises in history. The world that he helped co-create is the definition of a pop culture phenomenon. I am, of course, sitting today next to Mr. Kevin Eastman. This is really great. Thanks so much for coming in. Well, thanks all you guys for coming <laughs> on a Sunday. Let's talk about your coming up. Let's talk about your childhood. Do you have an early memory of animation? I used to love, you know, um, the the old Popeye uh, cartoons, yeah. uh, the Woody Woodpeckers, the really the Fritz Lang, the really crazy, crazy ones. You know, Bugs Bunny, Chuck Jones, um, uh, you know, Horton Hears a Who. Grinch is still Christmas, that yeah. kind of stuff. I remember those as just, you know, that. And what I, one of the things I really loved was the uh, early Rankin Bass. Um, you know, that was sure. a, you know, ritual, you know, back in those days. Yeah. You know, you had two or three TV channels that came in good in the small town in Maine, and, and you know, you'd wait for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to come. <laughs> Yeah. Every year they do Wizard of Oz and Rudolph, but and yeah. Rudolph, I love the Rankin Bass stuff. Who are some of your creative influences coming up? You know, my biggest creative influence growing up was um, Jack Kirby. I mean, you know, I read comic books, and and I was, you know, a little background. My my grandmother painted. My my father used to doodle um, a lot. So there was, you know, artist. I have definitely an artistic background. My talents inherited, but I sort of went all the way down the rabbit hole, if you will. Um, but yeah, I had a grew up in a very small town in Maine. Had a paper route, you know. I'd take my two dollars and seventy five cents. I'd make each month drive down, you know, ride my bike down to the comic store. You know, they were twenty cents a piece then. <laughs> um, you know, I'd get ten comic books, a YooHoo and a Twinkie, and sit and read half the comic books on the step of the store, and then bike home and read the rest. But, oh, that sounds um, great. Jack Kirby's Commandy, literally, that was. You know, I was. I lived in a small town of Maine, and I literally thought, you know, Commandy, the last boy on earth. I felt like I yeah. was, you know, the last, <laughs> the last boy on earth. But. Love Commandy. It was influenced, I think, heavily by Planet of the Apes. Yep. And I remember reading somewhere that that was one of the like the first movie you remember seeing. That must have had a huge influence too. Totally. Right? It, it was actually my sister took us to the to the movies once, and I think she wanted to see it, and we might have been a little too young for it. But I remember watching that and going like, "Holy smokes!" That was like it had such an impact, and that's what I think I really gravitated to Commandy yeah. about. It was definitely a furtherance of that whole concept. Yeah. Um, but man, that was that was it. And I remember, you know, I used to trace, you know, Jack Kirby drawings, uh, you know, and and read comics all the time to the point of, you know, um, my mother used to go like when I wasn't doing my chores, she said. You know, you draw all the time. You better be good at that because you're not good at anything else. 
talk a little bit about when you, as a youth, knew that you were going to uh, be a comic book creator. Well, you know, it, it's something that never, you know, once I sort of latched onto it, um, you know, I, I just never let go. It was, you know, I'd, you know, every chance I could, I'd buy comic books, scour flea markets, um, you know, I'd memorize <laughs> storylines. I had my favorite artist, um, and I'd draw and uh, write and draw my own stories all the time. And even, you know, um, you know, going to, um, I think it was seventh and eighth grade, a friend of mine, actually two buddies of mine, Jim McNaughton and David Peabody, um, formed their own little comic company. And so we used, <laughs> we used to do draw and create our own little comic books and do them on this mimeograph machine. It was like that you kind of had to trace the drawings and then you could print out about 20 of them. So we used to try to sell our own comic books around school in seventh and eighth grade. Oh, wow. And, you know, when I got into high school, it, got, it was one of those things where around the time that it was kind of uncool to like comic books i i really didn't care <laughs> i still Good. wanted to do them and i actually had one of my one of my great early influences was um in high school i had an art teacher named jane hawks um and when i said you're pretty good at drawing what do you want to do and 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 i said i want to draw comic books and she's one of the first people that didn't laugh and she said well okay well if you want to draw comic books it seems to me that to draw a comic book story, you have to literally draw everything you can see. If you're going to draw a story that has, you know, people, cars, desks, chairs, furniture, in perspective. Yeah. She said, and so she used to give me all these extra assignments in my sketchbook to draw. She said, I don't want you to draw superheroes. I don't want you to draw this. <laughs> I want you to bring in drawings of tables, chairs, anything, because you have wow. to be able to draw all that stuff. And she was real supportive, and I you know, keep in touch with her to this day. understand why they're turtles <laughs> i've heard that story it's because there's no funnier animal to be a bruce lee expert you know of martial arts than a turtle so great got that so i understand why they're ninjas check it's hilarious it's great <laughs> i can even understand the mutant part because it's like okay you got to justify how a turtle could be up and walking around but the teenager part why teenagers well i think it's, it's you know you, if you put everything you you, you said in, and that's kind of what we did is we put everything in, in, in into a blender if you yeah. will <laughs> um you know our favorite isms from things that we loved as movies and comics mostly comics as kids um and it always seemed like you know peter parker was the perpetual teenager yeah um, there was a lot of and around that time um when the turtles came out there was a really popular series called new mutants um yep which is teenagers becoming you yeah. know x-men the next class of x-men because all the, the other x-men class. had kind of be aged up to become adults so yep. they, that was a that's right that's right because <laughs> it was wow. and actually you know it was the true collaboration the awesome peter laird and i that you know that all started as a joke and this whole thing was you know <laughs> i was calling him ninja turtles yeah and i did the pencil drawing and then when pete inked it in he added the teenage mutant part and it was just a natural we were just completely goofing around just having a great time and <laughs> yeah we both looked at this drawing of teenage mutant ninja turtles and said this is the dumbest thing we've ever seen so <laughs> <laughs> you know we had to do something with it What's so bizarre is that, you know, when we did the first issue, we, we really didn't think we'd sell any copies of the first issue. Yeah. Um, and it was done as a parody. And, you know, I used to work cooking lobsters in a restaurant in Maine. We put out the first issue in May of 1984. Then I went back and did my summer job. Yeah. And then that fall, um, Peter gave me a call and, and, you know, one of our regular catch-ups. And he said, uh, we're still getting calls from comic stores and distributors. They yeah. want to know when the second issue is coming out. And we're like... Uh, we didn't think about doing a second issue. Um, and so when we started, um, well, what should we do with a second issue? That was really, we started making it less of a parody and writing it more for ourselves. We just, yeah. you know, we had no editors. We had no company we were working for but ourselves. So we just put everything we loved about the comics and the things um, 
that we could relate to, things that we wanted to read into the stories, and that's where we continued. Yeah. And, and you know, we were writing for ourselves, but you know, it was resonating with a lot of fans, which is you know puts that's us in awesome. their universe. At what point did you guys know that the Ninja Turtles were going to be like a pop culture phenomenon? When you're kind of in in the middle of the storm, I guess, for maybe a bad analogy, middle of, we <laughs> didn't really realize it. Sure. And, and, you know, to us, I always like to bring up the second issue because um, we started working on the second issue. We just solicited for it. And then when the orders came in, because we sold 3,000 copies of the first issue, and we got uh, orders for 15,000 of book two. Wow. And uh, Peter called, uh, you know, all excited. He said, we got the orders in. And he said, you know, 15,000 copies. I did the math. Um, after we pay all the bills, um, we'll make about $2,000 each pre-tax. Um, and uh, we can eat all the macaroni and cheese we want. We can pay our rent. And we can draw comic books for a living. Um, and that was it. That's when I quit my job. And that's when I – so to me, the one of the coolest and, and, and most awesome moments was when I got to be Jack Kirby and then start yeah. – both Peter and I got to start drawing comic books for a living. In 1985, but then, you know, it just didn't stop. It just kept going. Um, you know, each issue, the sales creeped up higher and higher. Um, and <laughs> and when we, I think we were selling around 100,000 copies of the comic book, and that's when we started working with um, the Playmates and more Comic Wolf on the yeah. animated show. And that was one of those things too that we never thought, you know, this worked as a comic book fine, but we just don't see how it's going to translate into a cartoon show. Sure. Um, and I think it was so, like, 1988 was the year that, you know, the the first five-part Turtle cartoon came out, yep. and the toys came out in, in, in July, June or July, and they were just selling like crazy, and we just, that's probably the year when we said, oh my goodness, this actually can be bigger than a comic book. Yeah. We don't know how it's working, we don't know why it's working, but <laughs> people are, are digging it, so. Huh? Why do you think that the turtles can translate so well to an animated format? Well, I think it's you know it's especially you know we're, we're so fortunate these days with you know technology and things what we can do in movies you know that yeah. can actually bring the comic books we loved uh, reading and, and growing up or even reading now um, bring them to life as a live action format. But in those days, um, animation was the only way you could get some of. You know those kind of characters and the, you know, the Krangs and the Bebop and Rocksteady yeah. and all that stuff working <laughs> as an animated series. Um, but I think that because um, you know, we think about you know I thought about it a lot over the years and I feel like you know because the turtles were you know they weren't any specific you know race or, or person or, or or you know stereotype. It's like they were they yeah. were you know four green mutant teenagers and they just wanted to be teenagers. So I think that. You know, a lot of kids everywhere uh, around the world even, you know, could relate to them without saying, like, you yes. know, that um, they would have been left out and they could relate to it. It's like, look, it's just this, because, you know, I think growing up we all feel like mutants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who wants to try it? I do. Toss me the teapot. The teapot? Turtle. Pod. Teapot. <laughs> I am so good at naming stuff. Did you guys ever intend to put a sort of subconscious immigrant story into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No, not not so much in that it was, you know, specific. Um, there, there were elements of that, but it was more like we wanted a um, kind of a strong father figure. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and sort of, you know, that um, 
three men and a baby or, you know, one rat and four ba- <laughs> baby kind of things is that um, this character was not something um, it was expecting to be part of his life or the changes that went through his life. But, yeah. you know, he, he adopted the role and, and, and fell in love with his sons and, and you know, wanted to raise them and, and do the right thing, yeah. um, which is always the the underlying message of, you know, I guess, our favorite characters in movies and, and ourselves is that we always want to be that person that does the right thing. We want to be the hero, the one that, you know... Um, you know, does all the do the right thing. So I think that what we did love um, about that element. So we had the father figure first, and the sons, and the adopted family. Because I think that you know, even you know, today that is everybody is sort of they have their real family, but they also have their adopted family. Absolutely. You think it's like you know, you work at Starbucks, the people absolutely. that work with you become your family and your totally. friends. Totally, your, your, your friends growing up, and yeah, your, yeah absolutely. So, That's beautiful. So I think it, it's that kind of thing. But um, I always loved the. I was a huge fan of history. I mean, that was. Pete was Peter as well, um, so I think we just loved the the, the uh, Asian culture, the the, the history, and yeah. the, people always one of the favorite questions is where did the where the you know the turtles' names come from? Sure, um, <laughs> and you know as a huge fan of my high school graduation year, I did uh, 1980. I did my mural to Leonardo da Vinci, which was like this you know Mona Lisa and all this stuff. Um, wow! But I just loved those elements. It was kind of cool to bring the that past and present sort of into the. This one family unit, and it's that makes sense. Again, it's, it's so all cool. hodgepodge. Listen, Master Splinter is my favorite character. Awesome. My favorite turtle is Leonardo, but my favorite character is Master Splinter. He's just so wise and so like Yoda-like, and just such a great father. And again, that element of even though these aren't his biological sons, that makes no difference. He's raising these kids. He loves them as if they are his own. They are his own. And I think that's a beautiful message that um, that I think a lot of people tap into for the Ninja Turtles. You must hold on to hope, and with that hope. You must lead by example. You are all truly worthy heroes, and no matter what may come, you have all made me very proud. All right, so I got to ask you too, Kevin. Do you have a favorite turtle? You know, I think that uh, <laughs> it's probably the one of the most asked questions, and, and it's always it's difficult to answer because you know it's like choosing a favorite favorite child, of I course. Know. But um, you know, Michelangelo was you know that first turtle I doodled in 1983. It was yeah. um, had you know the Bruce Lee thing had nunchucks strapped to his arms and the mask on it. So I've been partial to Michelangelo, and you know I always loved the humorous aspect of it. Totally. Um, but I love you know you love them all, and you can because you can do. You know the, the kinds of stories you can do with them as a group. The kinds of stories you can do with them individually is, you know, is is fascinating and it's a great. You know, you can tap into this psyche of that. But um, my favorite character to go to, <laughs> go to for telling stories is Raphael. Yeah. Especially I put Raphael and Casey together, and they're like my dog Bob and Doug McKenzie are the two <laughs> goofball brothers that you know when they're not yeah. beating each other up, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing or fighting. You know, doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're all. They're all my sons. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Casey and Raph have such a great bromance uh, that they can just get into so much trouble. That's that's awesome. Do you have a favorite villain from the Turtles universe? There's, oh man, you know, you can't, you know, you can't go wrong with Shredder. Yeah, um, and I love the idea that you know when we put the first issue out, we killed Shredder at the end of the first I issue. I know, <laughs> and we were like, we're never going to be one of those. You know, bring back from the dead. Yeah, <laughs> and so we we held out for I think of you know I think twenty issues and we brought him back and it was a blast. Cool, um, and he's been back ever since. But um, Krang from the original Turtles anime. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. he was so funny. Just it's Krang. Whoa, what's with the gross man baby body? This will be the last time I have to look at you, disgusting turtles. <laughs> the Krang, you're letting me go home. I just have to make a few amends and Dimension X. Here I come. 
Not so fast, Krang! Kevin, what is it like to see other creators work on the property that you started, whether it's animation or, or video games or a different comic book, you know, uh, creations and properties and stories. What is that like? It's, you know, it's fantastic. Even, you know, in the earliest days, well, you think back when we were reading comic books, um, you know, there were always different art teams. You know, you had Jack Kirby, yeah. Stan Lee writing the Avengers or something, and then yeah. there was a new creative team that came in, and some, some you liked them more, some you liked them less kind of thing, the storyline that they were exploring. And we did a bunch of that in the early days of the comic books, when we, especially when we started working on the animated series and some of the movies, is that we couldn't keep the regular monthly, bi-monthly schedule on the comics up, so sure. other artists that we work with or met at shows they said well i had a turtle story idea and they would tell us this idea and we'd be like well that's fantastic it sort of yeah discovered another side of the turtles we hadn't thought of or they're looking at it from you know because we're living with them every day and they're inside our head and they they <laughs> see it from outside um so we really love different elements that they brought into the storylines of different characters and that just continued when we you know, even the first animated series working with david wise and some of the guys and putting together that they looked at all the material um, and came up with some of their own ideas and some of their own angles, especially with the animated series we were writing down for a much younger audience. We weren't writing for you know, the, true, the, true, true. With the older audience. Sure. But every one of the stories um, that have been explored now over 32 years have been fantastic. I mean, you yeah. think of you know one of my favorites in recent history was the Turtles Forever movie. Which oh, it's I, so great. <laughs> it was so love that. So cool. You know, the, 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 you know, the, we call them the 2000 Turtles with the, yeah. the original 80s Turtles. Absolutely. And then the black and white turtles so um there's a lot of really great uh, in, in, talented creative people and what yeah. they see in your characters you kind of like well that i didn't if it's a really really good idea we just take credit for it yeah <laughs> no. that's no. smart that's really smart Let's talk about the IDW series for a little bit. Yes. Um, how did you, first of all, again, in preparation for this, for today, I went back and reread the first issue of the 2011 uh, IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. And again, it's great. It's great. And the thing that I love is that it is unmistakably Kevin Eastman layouts. It's unmistakably Kevin Eastman's story. It's got this great slow build. It's so, so fantastic. How did you get involved with IDW uh, to begin with, well, IDW. I've been friends with uh, Ted Adams and, and Robbie Robbins, the, the original co-founders of IDW, for for twenty years or more. And and uh, when they secured the license from Nickelodeon Viacom to do the the series, mm -hmm. um, you know, Ted called and said, "Hey, you know, hey, we're we're gonna." do this new Turtle series, I'd like to get your input and meet um, uh, Tom Waltz, who's going to be the head writer. And um, I was living in L.A. at the time, and I went down to San Diego, and and, and Tom had this vision that, to me, w was so similar in, in some respects to kind of what Cyril would, and what Nickelodeon Animation was doing. It was sort of pulling characters in from different Turtle universes yeah. and making this new foundation. But Tom actually took it a bit further with um, his ideas about the reincarnation aspect. Which and I love. I'm a diehard Turtles fan. It was, I mean, and he took it, yeah, no, and, and some of the other ideas, you know, just sort of, um, you know, April naming the, the Turtles. Yeah. Um, you know, putting her as a scientist, not the reporter kind of thing. And sure. There was, you know, it, it took all familiar elements and, and turned them on the ear a little bit. Um, and I really fell in love with his outline. And I said, you know, and Ted was like, well, do you want to do covers? Do you want to do this? And I'm like, I'd like to go all the way and I'd like to yeah. be involved as much as you want me involved. And, um, and uh, you know, so I did the layouts. Not that Dan Duncan, who was the artist, he needed layouts, but he really was enthusiastic. He, he was, it was great to work with him. So I did the layouts yeah. for the first bunch of issues and we just finished, actually, I think um, issue 59, I just finished the yeah. cover for wow. before I came up. Um, but um, no, the series is... Um, 
it's it's great and it really has evolved into its own universe and I love that you know we have the movies which are their own universe sure. in some respects the Nickelodeon uh, universe which is you know fantastic and it's got its own um, its own uh, uh, fan base but the the comic books um, and, and that was you know we worked you know, very closely with Nickelodeon mm-hmm. um, on the series and they really wanted to make it um, something that was um, edgy but didn't go too far but it sure. really resonated you know really mirrored the original black and white series and and they give us a lot of freedom to do some really cool stuff and really supportive and all you know great ideas but yeah that that comic book is i'm so passionate about it and love yeah. it and the fan again the fans have come back because there were moments when we uh did stuff in the story where you know i, I thought they're gonna you know, lynch us yeah <laughs> some of the The Ninja Turtles have had some great cartoon series. I love the 2003 series. I thought it was a great return to basics. It was fantastic. But cut to 2012 and Nickelodeon premieres Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why do you think the show gets it so right? Man, you know, it's, it's you know, I point to this, you know, there's such an awesome team at Nickelodeon uh, anyway. You know, I point to, to Ciro, um, uh, Ciro Neely first because I think that, you know, I actually knew Ciro before, um, he he came on as one of the one of the main executive producers of the series and, and had a lot of um, enthusiasm and creative vision for it. But he hit the reset button, if you will, um, pick some of his favorite parts from the original black and white series sure. and some of the different series and kind of create a new Nickelodeon universe to, to build on and tell stories. You know, tweak a character here, nudge a character there, but give a foundation where they can bring in lots of different ideas and characters from from other places. Um, and uh, I just you know it's. It just was fantastic. I just love, you know, the fact that, you know, the very first episode, they go aground for the first time. They meet April. So it really allowed everybody to come in um, at a point where they can enter the story again, whether you're an original fan or a new fan. Yeah. Not only that, but they they discover pizza for the first time. Like, what a great (laughs) moment. What a great moment for Turtles fans to see them discover pizza after eating algae their whole lives. You know, it's great. Yeah. I think it's food. It's not like any food I ever saw. I'll try it. Uh, yuck. You guys won't like it. I'll take the rest. No way! Back off! A few years ago, when they were coming out with a new live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, um, you were brought on as a consultant. What was that experience like? It was it was really exciting. It was, um, you know, I'd worked with uh, two of the original producers uh, that stayed on with uh, Scott Mendick and, and Galen Walker, and they, they had an idea of where they wanted to take the movie. Um, yeah. When they brought in director um, Jonathan Liebsman, that was uh, you know Michael Bay and Jonathan Liebsman came in and and that's you know the thing you know if you're going to direct a movie you have to have a vision you have to have a um, you know a direction and, and where you want to take the you know see the characters go to and evolve because it was also you know yes they've been on um, uh, Nickelodeon as the animated series and we had the sure. comic series but it's with the movie franchise you have to almost do the same thing a reintroduction and, and, and do all that um, so I worked um, pretty closely with Jonathan Liebsman and, and his his you know vision from day one was to, to make the best turtle movie uh, ever um, yeah. and really bring the characters um, out in a way that you know um, the first movie would be more of April's story how she met the turtles gotcha. um, how they evolved into what they yeah. became before you dig into the other turtles universe a lot of elements from the IDW comic you yeah. know with like April kind of naming them and having that sort exactly. of yeah it was great because he, he, you know I think he, he you know Jonathan took the same direction as pulling some of his you know some of the favorite bits from different turtle universes and, and, mm-hmm. and, and doing it that way but no it was it was exciting to um, um, to be part of it it was exciting to see the turtles in CG for the first time oh um, yeah 
you know, I know some of the fan reaction wasn't as positive as we'd hoped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, we never They're massive. Should they have noses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but those are, you know, that was what's fantastic. That was actually based on a uh, original Mirage uh, series we did with an artist named Michael Zuli. Um, oh, did, cool. Uh, the mid '30s, he did an issue where he he was a, a nature uh, naturalist, a nature artist, and he, his version of the turtles were more realistic than, Absolutely. than ours. And so they would elements for the movie were literally pulled in from some of the original black and white comic books. But um, yeah. But no, I thought the movie had the same thing um, as you know all the other um, interpretations. Is it had the same heart and soul? The turtles were sure. all there. The father figures. I got to tell you, pizza and, absolutely. My favorite moment, my favorite moment, which I just feel was like pure turtles, was them riding up in the elevator. Oh, I, was just gonna say I mean, I, I can imagine the fan reaction has been the same, where they're just going up to fight a bunch of bad guys and they just start jamming out. I'm like, that's those are my boys. That's it. Those are the guys. They that. did it. Empty. <laughs> Where I started out was, you know, again, reading Jack Kirby comic books and, 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 and why I like Jack Kirby so much was he was a complete creator as well most of the time, especially with the commandy stuff. He wrote it, he, yeah. you know, he, he edited, he, he, he drew it and... And that's what I liked, that he was in full control of everything that went on on that page. Yeah. And that was the inspiration I had early on was like, you know, that's, you know, I don't want to be just an inker. I don't want to be just a penciler sure. or a writer. I want to be somebody that does everything, the complete artist. Um, and, you know, every time I went into um, any other kind of um, related entertainment, you know, whether it's, you know, animation – I love animation, but you really—it takes an important and 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 a, and a lot of people to Absolutely. make something. It's a collaborative good, effort. Absolutely. Collaborative effort, and yeah. and I thought that you know even when I went down to um, I've done storyboards for films and some other things, but when I went down to see the first Turtle movie on set was um, watching Steve Barron standing in the middle of this you know street with like a hundred people around him, yeah. and he—it's just one guy has to control all these elements uh, to make this one you know. 20 second shot on can <laughs> on yeah, film it's work amazing. and i just thought to myself um it's amazing any film comes out good ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how lucky I am that I get to sit in my studio by myself, um, whatever I think of in my head and can yeah. draw, then I can draw. And so it, that's... With an unlimited budget, I might add, too. With, yeah. an, unlimited, yeah. <laughs> with an unlimited budget. You are the curator of a museum. Yes. Right? Tell us a little bit about what it is and what you do. Thanks. No, it's, it's, uh, IDW, uh, when they relocated their offices, one of the components was that they wanted to add a gallery space to really showcase comics as comic book art and that, that kind of... Um Beautiful, beautiful. So, um, and you know, my wife Courtney and I were were both very passionate about. We actually had told Ted and Robbie at one point our five year plan was that we'd love to have a gallery of our own. And so Courtney and I came in and, and helped them, uh, you know, design the space, get the space to to, to where it is now, um, including a, it's got my my actual working studio is in there. All my yeah. turtle collectibles. A recreation of your studio. Yeah, it's That's a recreation, insane. but it, it's like literally every everything in that studio is mine. It's something wow. that either I've. It's this comic books. I had from when I was nine years old that are in the studio. So, and that was an important part of the vision was that, you know, it's one thing you can walk into a gallery space and you can see all this beautiful comic book art around the walls. Mm -hmm. But I felt that if you saw the actual space that is created in that, the people will actually see like, Somebody actually sits here and draws this stuff yeah. that then becomes this, uh, on the wall these beautifully drawn pages, these beautiful detailed panels. Because um, I do think, you know, some people at, at some points think that 
it's just kind of stamped out in a factory somewhere. Absolutely. <laughs> they don't yeah. put like somebody it, actually writing and yeah, drawing. Yeah, it comes from a human hand. Absolutely. That's yeah. amazing. That's inspiring. You so, know, it's it's I'm sure that it's it's trying to recreate that feeling that you had when you were a kid and you realized this came from somebody's hand. Somebody can do this for a living. This is somebody trying to share their ideas and passion with me through their art. And I know how important um, uh, preserving comic book art especially has been throughout your entire career. Yes. And I know that that's how you and Peter way back in the day first bonded. You went to his apartment and he had an original Kirby that's right. pencil and you had never seen that with your own eyes. And I'd, I'd love that. I think that's so great. That's so important. No, it is. You know, you think that, you know, even when I was young, I mentioned I loved art history and, and that yeah. kind of stuff. And my, you know, my dad and, and my folks would take me to museums and, you know, it's one of, I would literally just, Try to stand as you know, get as close to the the paintings as I could because you once you see the physical original art, you can see how yeah. the brushstrokes were made and how it was done. You can you can, it's inspiring that you know again you sort of make that absolute connection that some real person you know sat there for hours and hours yeah. and hours and created this beautiful work of art. Um, and that's you know, and as you said, you know, I've been passionate about it my whole life, and I think that you know the San Diego Comic Art Gallery is is literally the only one in the country at this point that's you know yeah. dedicated specifically to comic book art and. This fun show is lots of hands-on stuff for kids, and it's it's a lot of fun stuff. So. My favorite part of um, you know when I do conventions and tours, and we do these things, we talk and meet and greet the fans. The first thing I always do is I, you know, I stand up there and and I go, I'm up here, you know, talking about turtles. 32 years later and I say yeah. and I go it's all your fault and I yeah. point to the audience and go it's your fault and your fault and your fault and I say thank you thank you thank you because I would not have the greatest job in the universe without you know support of the fans that have you know been so passionate all these years so it's I really do have the greatest job in the world and I appreciate it so awesome. thanks well awesome thank you so much you. Kevin Eastman that was great thanks My a pleasure. lot <laughs> Calabunga. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Turtle Papa Kevin Eastman as much as I did, but I would love to know who you want to hear in the seat across from me. So find Nick Animation on social media and let him know on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. You're not going to want to miss an episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast, so please come back, visit us next week on nickanimationpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes and tons of bonus content like photos from the podcast of Kevin and myself and probably a few shots of Kevin signing all the turtle stuff that I brought from home. I am such a geek. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Greg Nix. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Gralva. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Mm-hmm.